I guess we're starting the second half of the season now, and there is like legit reason for Mets optimism. The team is in first place. Players are getting healthy. Everybody's kind of excited. Pete Alonso just won the home run derby. And now all of a sudden the Yankees get COVID and push them off the back page. So is there <laughs> anything that organization won't do to be shameless at this point? I think that the best thing that happened this week was DeGrom didn't pitch. And to think that, you know, I would say that seems out of my mind, but think about the possibilities of everything that could have gone wrong. Mm -hmm. Could have, you know, hurt himself, could have been injured, could have had an accident somewhere along the lines. And instead, we just put him inside a little glass case and said, break glass <laughs> after uh, All-Star break. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he means so much to that team right now, especially given that we're still waiting for Syndergaard baby by September. Uh, yeah, they've got. I want Thor back. I, I want Thor back more than I can even admit because I'm a huge fan of Thor. And um, right now, I think is one of these times where Mets fans are doing a lot of this. Pinch mm -hmm. me, pinch me. Is is it is it possible? Now, <laughs> does that mean we 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 don't still you know boo the team when they screw up or yell at the management or the GM when they make brain you know farts and this whole uh, draft thing has not been exactly what I expected. So. It's been sort of, you know, typical Mets time where we can't believe it's happening that we might actually pull this out. Um, I thought at this point we'd be dead again, but we're not. We're not dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. It is the, the Mets necromancy, I suppose, and maybe appropriate given the way their IL situation's been the entire year. But, but yeah, uh, I honestly, at this point, especially with uh, the horrific injury that Acuna suffered just before the break, uh, I'm not sure that anybody's going to put it together. The Phillies, the Phillies have a lineup and they've got a starting rotation, but with that bullpen, I just don't see it, especially given how bullpen centric the game is right now. Yeah. You might be in the clear, which is kind of astounding to think about. As a um, pretending uh, descendant of Del Ennis. Um, I'm not really a descendant of Del Ennis. I have a place in my heart for the Phillies except when they play my Mets. Mm -hmm. Same as I do for the, for the Boston Red Sox. I love the Red Sox, except when they play my Mets. And I also like any team that beats the Yankees. So um, let's, let's just see what also happens in San Francisco. I think uh, the Giants right now are the team to watch, to be honest. Um, you got to keep your eyes on uh, the city by the bay. And wouldn't it be nice if we knew where Oakland's going to play? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, I talked to our old colleague, Randy Boos, uh, about a month and a half ago on this here podcast and yeah, he's pretty much resigned at this point to saying that, yeah, they are going away. Um, I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case, given that baseball, it's harder than any of the other major sports to move because of their antitrust exemption. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, Oakland, it's, it's this weird situation where they've got the land next to the Coliseum any time to develop if they want, but the team doesn't want to do it there. And it's 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 a standoff and well then you also you have the, the rays don't forget the rays right the montreal right. rays <laughs> <laughs> the, the camp montreal i believe it's is they're referring to that that half that cockamamie half tampa half montreal plan uh, have you been to the thunderdome slash uh tropicana field have you been there i booked a flight to tampa for april of 2020 to, to add that as as my baseball road trip great that. timing yeah yeah <laughs> And uh, it is, I mean, I, I know that Tropicana Field is the 2020 of baseball park, so it would have been appropriate, but yeah, uh, missed out and have not booked, rebooked a flight back there. This year, 
uh, going to Coors Field actually instead, which uh, I think is a step up. So yeah, I'd like to I'd like to see inside Coors Field. I've been past it twice, hmm. and I mean literally like drove past it, and I was so tempted to park the car and say, "Oh gosh, there's a game going on. I'm going to go buy a ticket." And then I said, "But you're supposed to be someplace else." So once I was driving across the country. And the other time I was meeting a friend for dinner. So hmm. um, it just didn't work out. Um, watching it on TV, though, it looks like a fun place. Um, yeah. I, I would just say that I've never been to Tropicana Field in its current form. I mentioned Thunderdome Dome because I saw the lightning play there. And it was right. awful. It was <laughs> awful. It was just such an awful place to watch any kind of sport. So <laughs> I can't imagine it's even better as a baseball uh, park. So um, let me just also say that I'm not a fan of Yankee Stadium. It's too much of a mausoleum instead of a, a ballpark. And I swear that if I don't get to see a game at Wrigley Field with the one and only Ken Schultz before I die, my life will have been wasted. <laughs> wow. Uh, that, that's, that's pressure. Yeah. I mean, you, you are any, you know, my, my standing response is my answer is always yes. Anytime the question is, do you want to see a baseball game? Uh, so yeah, I mean, anytime, I, and I believe when you were last in town, which was to, to pick your kids up from U of C, that was like the last good cub weekend before it all went to hell. So <laughs> I took, why did you I take took, your kids out of town? That's the only me. thing holding us together at this point, Don Ennis. I, I, I swung by, I swung by Wrigley Field and stole their good karma and brought yeah. it to Flushing. Uh. And I'm sorry, um, your cubs have sort of, it's, it reminds me of, you know, um, effect that when you flush the toilet, it sort of circles the drain a little bit, <laughs> and, a little, and then uh -huh. it disappears. That's just sort of like you know they're shit down the pipe. Uh, they are. Can they come back? Is there a, a possibility the Cubs will pull it out in the second half? Not this year. No, that's the, the, it's Jed done. Hoyer. Right? They're just done. Yeah, Jed Hoyer has has told the media essentially that he's open for business right now. They they've picked the direction it's going to be selling, uh, and yeah, it's going to be awkward and painful and protracted and uh yeah so my cubs childhood is back again hooray hey hey holy mackerel no doubt about it uh but that's not why it's called let's do the show open and let's dig into a whole bunch of of more uplifting topics than what's going on with my team right now this is the three strikes are out podcast part of the outsports podcast network outsports baseball podcast episode number 82 i am ken contributing writer to baseball prospectus, out sports, and stand-up comedian, fully vaxxed, unlike a lot of ball players. Mm -hmm. The other voice you're hearing on this episode is a very familiar one on these here out, out sports podcast network airwaves, I guess we'll call it. She is sports editor of the Los Angeles Blade, contributing writer to Forbes.com, journalism professor at the University of Hartford, and you can also read her stuff on outsports.com. It's Dawn Ennis! Guess Hello, back. everyone. Back Yay. again. Yeah, Outsports and I had a great two and a half year run. I am so proud of everything we've accomplished. The most important thing being hiring Ken Schultz, Hell Brian yeah. Bell, Carly Chardonnay Webb, bringing together the team, Shelby Weldon, and all the folks who are no longer with us. Also, just a great family. I'm very pleased that you invited me, and I'm very grateful to Outsports for welcoming me back, at least for this podcast. Look, I got to tell you, going to grad school, writing for the LA Blade, writing for Forbes, raising three kids, I'm a sort of busy. 
<laughs> and I've, I've taken all that time I devoted to outsports and I found a place uh, to um, sort of like, you know, sprinkle myself in. At first, you know, I was realizing the very first week after I left, I was like, wow, I've been working seven days a week for two and a half years with a couple of days off here and there and managing six podcasts. Mm. What am I going to do with all this time? <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to grad school and uh, I love all the writing I'm doing. And uh, there's some new stuff that's happening that I can tell you about uh, when, you know, when, when we have time. But I got to ask you, I got to ask you, have you talked to Dee Gill about the Giants and about Oakland? Because, I mean, Dee Gill, right there in the middle of everything, that'd be the person I'd want to know about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I have not talked to him about the Giants yet because every time we've talked, especially for this podcast, it is to mourn whatever is going on with the Atlanta Braves at the time. And this is even big, before. big Braves fan, big Braves yeah. fan. He just happens to live in a city that has, uh, you know, other baseball in it. But, um, you know, I, I encourage you to check out all of these podcasts. I'm so grateful, though, for Three Strikes You're Out because baseball has been my first love. I'm a Mets fan since birth. I didn't choose the Mets. My father chose the Mets, and that meant I am bleeding blue and orange all my life yeah i i can sympathize the line i've always used the cubs are congenital That's yes the way it is which uh, sort of sounds like a disease yeah many um, <laughs> appropriate for this year given how very few cubs are vaccinated right now so yeah what is that uh, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think that is and these are millionaires all right so is it because they live in a little bubble and they don't have to worry is it that they are anti-vaxxers or is it just that they don't think that it's going to get them they're just invincible i it's a mix of all that honestly i think that uh it is i mean baseball is a very insular world and you you have a bunch of 20 somethings who have reached their the peak of the career that they've been striving for since pretty much they've been conscious so uh, invincibility definitely factors into it uh it's also i think a matter of i mean baseball players as a rule tend to come from the South and the suburbs, which is kind of the Fox News demographic. So I'm sure that plays a role in it, unfortunately. Honestly, at at this point, if you'd asked me before the season, I would have thought, okay, you need to get like the most influential guys in baseball, like all the stars to get on board with getting vaxxed. Those are the guys that have to sway in the locker rooms. Those are the ones that can tell their teammates, okay, we want to be out there 100% and healthy. Everybody get vaxxed and we can ensure that that will be the case. I did not count on the rash of stupid that kind of has made its way through baseball, which unfortunately has affected some of my very favorite players in the game too. Um, mm. It's it's disappointing as hell to find out Anthony Rizzo has chosen not to get the vax, um, especially someone who is a cancer survivor and, and who has. That makes no example. sense. Yeah. No sense. What, what happens, what medical science has done for him. I, I have to guess there's probably some paranoia in there that might lead to, that might lead to that decision. I, I don't know for sure, but yeah, it's just a, a lot of guys who who have not thought this through or just don't bother to do the research or are getting the wrong research thrown in their faces. Which it, and I want all your listeners to know that you know I'm fully vaccinated. I don't know anyone in the outsports team who isn't vaccinated. I, I go back to ballparks now because I feel safe. Um, not just because I'm fully vaccinated, but because I've taken precautions. And the Delta variant is real. And I've been reading about fully vaxxed people getting COVID. And I've been reading about how, you know, we really need to keep our masks on, even in um, public places like Boston, but ballparks and, and stadiums. 
Um, I wear it when I go shopping. I don't want to wear a mask. I hate wearing a mask, but I'm really worried about the future. And I'm wondering, gosh, you know, imagine if baseball had to do with 2020 all over again. Yeah. Could you imagine? I, I don't, I can't imagine it surviving another 2020. I, yeah. I, I don't even want to think about watching that with the looming rows of empty seats hovering over it, reminding mm-hmm. you that, you know, as much as you're trying to get away, it's inescapable that you're living in a, a quarantine world that's dominated by the virus. And I, I think in terms of like how the ballplayers have responded, I think back to back when the steroid era was at its height. And mm. one of the cliches that was thrown Mark about- Mark McGuire. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one of the cliches that was thrown about, uh, they would always ask like as a think piece that if you could take a miracle drug that made you better at your job, wouldn't you take that? So here we have a literal miracle drug that enables you to take the field and ensure you'll be healthy for the entire season when there are other teams that, like right now, have COVID outbreaks in front of them and players are opting out. So don't mm. ever throw that shit in my face again because we, we well, since have you're a, the answer. Yeah. Since it, you're a stand-up comedian, I'm going to tell you what a, one, one stand-up comedian said, which is if they were to find that um, getting COVID means uh, erectile dysfunction for life, Every man on the planet would be like, "Get me a shot. I want uh-huh. two shots. Give me yes. both doses now." <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's it's consistency and yeah, consistency in our dicks. Yeah. Uh, wow! 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 Yeah, yeah. There is no good transition from that to home run derby, but let's see if we can just uh, make it happen. So, how did you I feel watching Pete Alonso go nuts in that thing? I felt like I was fully vaccinated against uh, disappointment. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> still, oh. Okay. So let me just say this. I expected Alonso to do well. I did not expect him to win. I did not expect that he would have a minute left over. I did not expect that there would be such joy. Did you see the joy on people's faces? Oh, yeah. I, I think I texted you at the time. I wanted to be in that ballpark so badly just because it seemed like such a thrilling moment, even for the people who are nowhere near center left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's fascinating that there was a moment in that broadcast where the storyline completely changed. Like even coming in as the defending champion, Pete Alonso was essentially one of Shohei's seven understudies going in to the home run derby. And Shohei's round was fine and exciting and really yes. cool with the swing and, off, especially with and him. And a, a lot of hype, I'll be honest. Okay. Oh, yeah. Can we just say it? Can we just say a lot of hype? Yeah. But baseball needs hype like that. Like that's, that's <laughs> something the sport is looking for. Yeah. And there was a point, and it happened, I think, honestly, in the first round where Pete Alonso just kind of kept hitting it over and over and over again, where you realize, oh, he has gone from Shohei's understudy to the wrath of a vengeful god. <laughs> Did you see, though, one of the thrilling moments for me was the pitching coach throwing to Pete. Yes. That was, I think, the magic sauce. That was what made it so much better than if it was just anybody. Yeah, he was the abbot to Alonzo's Costello, like setting him up perfectly over and over and over again. So fun story about that that guy, too. That's uh, Dave Jouse. And I recognize the name mm-hmm. on the back of his uniform only because, and I don't know why I remember this, but he is the <laughs> son of a legendary Chicago sports writer named Bill Jouse, who, when I was a kid, was part of this radio show called The Sports Writers on the Air, a- aired every Saturday night on WGN. And it was for sports writers well into their dotage. Like you had to be at least 70 years old to be on the show and to be a, or to be a WGN caller. But 
uh, all gathered around a table, all smoking cigars. And it was like the McLaughlin group combined with like almost near, oh God, total near rage disorder because they would introduce <laughs> like any topic like uh, Mike Ditka got fired as the coach of the Bears. And then it would be 20 minutes of old men yelling at clouds. Like, and, and that, that, that's who Dave Jouse is descendant of. Like he, and only Chicagoans know it. But yeah, that's, that takes me back to that weird childhood memory I had. Well, it's not my job anymore, but I would love to find a way to get uh, Joust Jr. on your show. Maybe he'll accept an invitation to be on Three Strikes You're Out and relive those days for you. Because I bet you that uh, as an older man himself, he probably has things he wants to argue about and say loudly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At this point, he's kind of where his dad was when he was on the air. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Great but, memory. Great memory. I, I got to tell you, I grew up with the um, amazing baseball team on the broadcast booth of Lindsey Nelson. And, you know, just hearing these voices for the Mets, uh, I remember my dad would always yell at the team whenever Steve Albert would say, well, the Mets can't lose this one. And it's like, God, ah, karma, don't jinx this, you know? And just, uh, I think there's a special affection that baseball fans have for baseball announcers. And that's why the, you know, the, I don't want to even say his name, but the, the incident last year with the homophobia, I still mm -hmm. keep reading articles about it. And it still, it makes me so sad because I think, you know, these men, and they are almost what, 99%, 99.9% men, are still from an era which people who are LGBTQ like us don't exist. Or if we do exist, we're the butt of jokes. And it bothers me to this day that where are the, you wrote a story once in out sports, but where are the out announcers, you know? And there are people like Jared Max who do sports and other great LGBT um, broadcast personalities, but where are the play-by-play -play guys? You know, listening to the, the, the All-Star game, I just kept thinking, why can't they have someone, someone who's out just to show the kids yeah, you can make it. You can be part of this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, part of that story was in talking to uh, some of the uh, people we featured here at Outsports that a big part of the reason, I think, is because in order to get to the big league level as a major league announcer, you have to go through minor league towns. And a lot of those are in kind of the redder and scarier parts of the country. And not all of them are going to necessarily be homophobic, but there's definitely that kind of to the, the fear I'm sure out there of if you want to be out and on the air, you're going to be on the air every day in sometimes, you know, small town Alabama or even medium sized city Tennessee. And those aren't necessarily, at least in, in your mind, the, the friendliest places to, to be. No, no. Like that. So, so true. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry uh, to derail you from your longer conversation. I, I thought, I just thought it was thrilling to watch. And, you know, we only had two players in the, in the whole week of, of um, I mean, Alonso didn't play in the game. So it was really up to, to Taiwan to, uh, you know, to really sort of represent uh, on the mound. And I don't think he disappointed. I, I, I have to say, it's interesting that the two New York guys uh, both were 99. Mm -hmm. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron and Judge kind of, and, you know. That's the kind of thing that anytime my dad sees that, he will always say, I can't believe how many players were such huge numbers nowadays. That's a wide receivers number. It's, it's, I'm sure well, we got to talk about the uniforms, though, can we? Oh, can I just say, wait, wait, I'm sorry. Did I say uniforms? I meant pajamas. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I would have rather they just did a Greek Olympic style 
uh, all-star game with men naked <laughs> uh-huh. than to have worn those. I mean, I'm sure a lot of guys would have liked to have seen them naked, but just, just, it was God ugly in the, the blue American flag and the red American flag and their, their hats had the team logos. And I just, ah, yeah, just awful. Yeah. Well, if we're doing a Greek all naked all-star game, then Chris Bryant is starting that shit. Like that, <laughs> you want to get the you want to get the vote out for Chris Bryant. That's what you do right there. And and my guy Nico Horner, just going to throw that out there for future. Okay. Years. Oh dear hey. lord. Oh, good Go for it. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm. I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that baseball would try to do kind of a new all-star uniform, just because it 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 likes to imitate other sports that it feels are more successful than it is. But honestly, you had it right. For the first 80 years, every player wearing the uniform of their own team, like that legitimately looks cool on the field. Yeah. You see every uniform re- represented because that's every and, and you know who your team is, right? Yeah. And it's not like, oh, wait, uh, C-H, uh, I, I think that means Chicago. Oh, yes, Cubs logo. Okay, I see it. Yeah, okay. yeah. And, and I'll give you a perfect <laughs> example of that. So when Chris Bryant, late in the game, lined that one out to left field with the bases loaded and yeah. like came within a foot of being the hero of the oh. all-star game. Oh, but, so close. Yeah, but, but they made it, the AL made a sliding catch, and you texted me, damn you, Jared Walsh. And I was watching in a bar with the sound down, so I had no idea that that was Jared Walsh in left field making that incredible catch. And <laughs> okay, and I got to give him credit. He, he really did a great job. Oh, yeah, I hate yeah. That. <laughs> legit, great, legit great play. But with the sound down and with yeah. the Angels logo no idea. approximately two Some inches high, there's no way of knowing. Yeah. Just some uh, guy, yeah, and he's wearing a, a light. He's wearing a dark colored uniform versus a white colored uniform. So I mean, I don't know. Um, tell me, tell me why the National League can't win? I mean, it's seven, eight years now. I mean, yeah. what? What? Yeah. What is it? Is it? Is it that? Is it that the um, the game is rigged? Is it that? Uh, is it that the the, the National League um, just is an inferior league? I mean, I'd like to understand why you think this is the case. Because my thinking is, my thinking is, the National League doesn't care. And the American League does. It's sort of like, to me, it's the way Republicans and Democrats play politics. Republicans are, fuck everything, we win at all costs. And Democrats are like, well, we must be very careful. And we are, you know, we are going to follow the rules. And Republicans are like, fuck you. <laughs> and the American League is, fuck you, we're going to win no matter what. And National League is, well, we, we don't want to get hurt. And we don't want to do anything that might, you know, endanger our season. Yeah, Um so I can give you a theory about that, not about the kind of current state of it, but kind of how it got to be this way from about maybe 10 years ago or so. Okay. Uh, this is Professor, Professor, uh, Professor Ken, go ahead. Yes. This is a story that kind of always existed in baseball undercurrents and gossip and only kind of made its way to light a couple of weeks ago when The Athletic finally wrote about it. But back when from about 2001 to about 2010, Every single All-Star game, without fail, would start with the manager, usually Joe Torre, kind of leading a basic pep talk of, hey, guys, go out there, give your best. Just remember, we're going to have fun. I'll get everybody in the game. And now uh, I'd like to turn the floor over to Ichiro. And the players who had never been there before would look at each other and go, Ichiro? I mean, I mean he's a cool guy, but English is his second language. Like, what's he going to say to us? And Ichiro would kind of get up very solemnly, look around, look every one of his teammates in the eye and yell out, let's beat those fat fucks! And the entire locker room would go in an uproar and the American league would go out and dominate. Uh, so that's how it started. And this probably <laughs> is the legacy of the Ichiro pep talk uh, born forth in today. But 
I also think that there's, it's probably because leading up till now, uh, the, the American League contains the American League East for many years. And that was such a dominant division where you had so many great Yankees and Red Sox and then all the great Blue Jays hitters that would also make the team that uh, they had more depth than the National League usually. And it would usually it would play itself out in the All-Star game. Now, in, in terms of where the talent is, it's starting to turn a little bit with uh, any year without injuries. You would have, you know, Tatis Jr. and Acuna Jr. and Juan Soto, like the most exciting young players outside of Shohei and Vlad Vladito. Are representing the national. Uh, it's just that this year, Vladito was the one who hit the 500-foot home run and won the MVP. Yes. So. Wow, that was something. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell me this. And the 200th home run also of an All-Star game mm-hmm. is also uh, celebrated. Um, someone tweeted that uh, congratulations to Fox Sports for finding a way to make a, a baseball game last even longer by micing <laughs> everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. What no. do you think about the mic open mic thing? I, I, I like mean, that when the when the managers called the bullpen. Uh, I thought that was cool. I thought it was cool when the managers talked to each other uh, mm-hmm. through TV, but I don't really give a crap what the players were thinking as they were standing in the field. So miking can be fun if you mic the right guys and you have the right broadcasters leading the interview. Uh, there is an example from two years ago in spring training when ESPN had a Cubs game and they mic'd up Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo at the same time with Boog Shambi and I believe Jessica Mendoza in the booth. And all those guys are maximum fun and just enjoy baseball, enjoy each other's company. And Boog is just a fun guy and knows how to set up players, knows how to get out of the way, kind of also knows how to talk player ease a bit. Uh, And that was like two innings of just amazingly fun conversation. Like you could see Brian and Rizzo were just having a ball uh, with this, this new kind of a way to kind of show the interactive, world. right? Yeah. yeah. How much fun they have with each other on the field. Yeah. Uh, Joe Buck. If for, I mean, he does <laughs> have strength. Sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. You said Joe Buck. So yeah. I did. But yeah. fun is definitely not one of his strengths. Like, and I, I think he's also kind of of that Fox mentality that we have to get the controversial story addressed. If we have a guy who has something, uh, has a bit of baggage, like when, when they were talking to Bryant, like Joe Buck. Couldn't I couldn't wait. believe it. Yeah, couldn't wait to ask him, so when are you going to get out of Chicago? When he's representing the Cubs in the goddamn All-Star game. Yeah, so you've been traded a lot, boy. You have certainly yeah. been around the places. Yeah. Must really suck to be you. I'm like, holy shit, this guy's playing on my actual TV and you're asking these questions. Oh, my God. It's not like this is not the Playgirl, the Playboy interview, you know? Yeah, like that. that is not the question to ask Chris Bryant if you want a fun answer, especially, and you don't want to ask him a question where he has to like think about what is the diplomatic answer when he's trying to play on the field. You're not going to get anything right. good out of him at that point. Well, there's nothing I can say nice about Joe Buck. I'm sorry. No. I, I will say that there was one um, moment where the second baseman, I can't remember who, was mic'd, and the shortstop made a play in which he was overheard on the second baseman's bike saying, I was scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because... So the ball came at him all of a sudden the first base went through but for double play and he was like i wasn't ready for that but it was yeah cool that was honest fun like that was good yeah i mean and that's the potential for what makes miking fun when you have guys yeah. in the field. like you get those like little honest moments every now and again and, and that's phenomenal like when you have tatis jr mic'd up when vladito absolutely unloads on one to left field and you get to hear his reaction and then hear them saying fun things in Spanish to each other as, as Vladito across <laughs> the second base. Like that's 
perfect use of the miking technology. But having Joe Buck think he's got to start interrogating guys when they're just in the middle of having fun on the field is not. So how about the uh, how about the moment with um, um, you know Henry Aaron's widow and having that ceremony that was supposed to be in Atlanta, having that commercial uh, put in the middle of it uh, from a you know a person of color basically talking about how MLB uh, effed over uh, Atlanta by moving the game uh, and so many businesses lost money because they moved the game. Uh, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising that Fox would air a right-wing attack ad against the sport it's broadcasting. That seems like <laughs> the most Fox move ever. The and, most Fox uh, thing ever, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So here is the thing about Henry Aaron. And a whole lot of these Georgia and Atlanta politicians got to get Henry Aaron's name out of their mouths. Because Henry Aaron, if there's one thing he was all about, was recognizing that the cause of social justice was infinitely more important than anything he was doing on a baseball field. Yeah. And taking the torch from Jackie Robinson and leading the next generation of players forward and, and being part of the heritage, passing down from one generation of great black athletes to another that... It's not enough to just be great on the field. You have to represent the community and you have to see if you can use your position of power and use your influence to do great things for your community. That's what Henry Aaron was about. And when I'm sure if he were alive to see those laws being passed in Georgia, those voter disenfranchisement laws, like I'm, I'm sure he would be thrilled that his wife was representing him at a game that was taken away from his hometown because they were making it impossible for black people to vote. Absolutely, and I also think that this is a time uh, from George Floyd to now, from, uh, from Georgia to Texas, where uh, every voice has to be uh, raised. And I, I really, I, I have to admire MLB for doing it right. Um, considering how long it's taken other sports, NHL, um, NFL, to really get on board and take uh, the lead from the WNBA in being social justice warriors. And that's not a bad word. Um, it's right. important for us to all to stand. You know, you and I have a lot of white privilege. I used mm -hmm. to have male privilege for 40 years. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that my job still remains, even beyond Outsports, to pass the microphone and get out of the spotlight and get up from the table and give my seat someone who's more marginalized than me. And for people to be able to um, stand together. Uh, I, I will not deny. I was moved to tears by stand up for cancer, part of the game. Yeah. Uh, I lost my beautiful wife to cancer. I lost my father and father-in-law to cancer. And, um, God, if we can do that for fucking cancer and I'm, pardon me. I just, I, I Go hate ahead. cancer, hate cancer. It's changed our lives in so many terrible ways that why can't we do that for every cause that needs to be you know, voter suppression, yeah. LGBTQ rights, transgender rights. I don't want to get on a soapbox, Ken, but I got to say, if if we can make that kind of a, a statement against an unbeatable disease, then how about the things we can fix? Yeah, I mean, not to be, not to make a blatantly obvious metaphor, but I'm going to, but I mean, racism is the cancer on this country. And Excellent. But you're such a good writer. I should hire you. Oh, wait, I already did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you can't hire me any more than you already did, Don. So we both got to live with it. But uh, you're very lucky. You're, 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 Outsports is very lucky to have you. Let me just say, I read all your stuff. I mean, 
every time you say that, that, that I blush and it, it. Well, I used to get paid to do it, but now. <laughs> <laughs> now you're doing it as an intern. Okay. Yeah. Now I choose. I choose to read your work. Um, I will say though that um, baseball has forever been a sport that catches up. It catches up. It caught up uh, with um, you know LGBT. It's catching up with uh, its racial equality. And it still has a lot of catching up to do. And I'm still waiting for more people like the um, coaches and the Giants who are women to be part of the game. And the, and the general manager wrote about for the Blue Jays and, and, and all these other folks who are making their inroads into, um, into baseball who aren't just white men. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, um, and honestly, baseball needs more black participation at all levels of the sport in every capacity. And I suppose the one encouraging thing about that, in addition to the social justice statement they made by moving the All-Star Game to Denver, was when they made, I believe it was the $100 million uh, pledge of, to the Players Alliance, uh, mm -hmm. I think the night before the All-Star, it was at the draft. Yes, they announced it. And the draft, during the draft, yes. Yeah. And the Players, announced, uh, Players Alliance is doing amazing stuff. Like seeing them go out in the middle of a pandemic, as they did last winter, and make a stop at so many big league towns and hand out personal protective equipment and baseball equipment to all the kids who are uh, living in cities who don't have access and to equipment like that every day because you have to be rich, unfortunately, to play baseball in so many places now. Like that's what's going to lead the next generation of black athletes back into the game. And, and really seeing so many of these guys step up and take this leadership role uh, it's the kind of thing that really makes me proud of this sports. And, uh, and I'm glad to see that, at, I mean, I go off on Manfred and the baseball establishment at the drop of a hat and will continue, continue to do so. The fact that they've gotten behind the Players Alliance and they are supporting it with the best way that they can, which is their money, um, that's something that is very admirable. And that's a great step. And that's something that absolutely has to continue going forward. We'll be back after this to talk about Jacob deGrom the first pitcher who Dawn wants to be cryogenically frozen between starts. We're back, and we were discussing pretty weighty topics leading into the break there, and coming out of it, I uh, want to hit... It feels weird to go back from social justice and civil rights to back to the Mets, but uh, why not? No transition at all. Jacob DeGrom. Uh, yeah, I can say that. I can say the segue I would say from social justice to the Mets is um, it may finally be that the Mets are going to uh, not screw up. And social justice is something that America has been screwing up for all 400 years or so. So let's see if the Mets can be an example, a shining star to lead everyone towards Kumbaya. Um, DeGrom is- Make this country amazing. How about that? Amazing. You gotta believe. Mm -hmm. You yes. gotta believe. Yes. Um, my, thank you, Tug McGraw. My feeling is that DeGrom needs to be put back into that little glass case that we put him in during the All-Star break. And I, I don't want to take him out of the rotation. I know this sounds controversial, but I really do feel like we should pick and choose, you know, which mm -hmm. opponents he goes up against, which cities, how much travel is involved. We got to sort of baby him. And yeah. I, I think it's because, I mean, if you have something fragile, I mean, does his ERA even measure anymore? Are they down to like you know? I think they're I think they're using microscopes now to measure his ERA. <laughs> the, so, 
there, there is a one that starts with his, his ERA is now starting with one now. Yeah, and and I, I'm just I'm just trying to extend this luck streak as long as we have it. And he's not our, like you said, Noah's coming back. Uh, it's not the only hope. It's not our only hope. Right. Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, I, I would just I would just pray that um, uh, you know the, the injuries are still going to come. There's still going to be players. And here comes an interruption. Hi. Oh, hello, Doug. This is oh. Dahlia. Dahlia is hey, a Dahlia. Mets fan too. Dahlia is a Mets fan too, and she wants to come and talk about the Mets. Um, I will tell Dahlia. Mail carrier? She barks, barks when I say mail carrier, but right now, of course, on cue, she's not doing it. Um, but it's all about injuries. And isn't that baseball right now? It's yeah. um, about us not wanting to um, lose anyone. And you go ahead. That's my thoughts. Yeah, and, and DeGrom is not immune to injuries right now. Uh, he's already been to the precipice twice in the first half of the season where you think, oh, no. Did this, did he finally break something or because the, the way he approaches the game and it, he's doing something that's never been done before and is like unbelievably thrilling to watch. See someone essentially do closer stuff from innings one through six. Like that's amazing. I don't know that you can count on that over a full season. Like that's something that would scare me every time out there that he's going that full force every single pitch he throws. And I almost wonder, like, he's so talented. Wouldn't it be better if he approached his starts the way, like, classic Justin Verlander did back in the mm. day? Where he would Remember come out Verlander. throwing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And he would come out throwing, like, 93, 94 and would dominate. But right. he always You don't have to hit the 100 mark. You don't have to. No. Not every time. No. Yeah. And he always had that little extra. And whenever he'd get in trouble. That's when you'd see 97, 98. That's when you'd see the radar gun explode. And right. you'd always get out of it. And I can't help but think, DeGrom is such a good pitcher as it is. Like, even leading up to this year, was, I mean, was on a Hall of Fame track. Yes, yes. And, and I don't hope, think there's any question that he is, you know, a Cy Young winner. There's, yeah. there, I mean, oh, give I mean, it to him now and just yeah. say, well, okay, we got it out of the way. If, um, if you missed the entire second half, you would deserve the Cy Young at this point. Now, but, I'm someone who grew up watching pitchers like Tom Seaver, Tug McGraw, and, and, and seeing them play nine innings. I mean, we don't see pitchers pitch nine innings anymore. Although I did see uh, a Yankees pitcher. I don't want to talk about the Yankees, mm-hmm. but he pitched all nine innings and I got to give him credit because 98, 99, all the way through nine. And, you know, they tried to pull him out at the ninth inning with two out. And I said, no, let the guy stay in. And they said, okay, Dawn, you're right. We'll let him stay in. <laughs> And uh, it was an exciting, wonderful thing. But it's so rare these days. And as much as I miss it, I think with someone like DeGrom, you can't chance that kind of stuff. No, you can't. Yeah, DeGrom's max is six. And I just want to say, I think every Yankee fan on earth would rather you manage the Yankees than Aaron Boone at this point. So they'll be happy to take that deal anytime. Yeah, Boone is uh, not long for this world. I have to be. That's not not inside scoop. I'm not talking to Jason Zillow and... And having him tell me on my pillow that uh, that uh, Aaron's on his way out, but let's just face it: with the Yankees being where they are, with uh, the uh, with the Red Sox being where they are, with the way they played, with the way his management moves, I just woof. Mm-hmm. It's um, the writing's on the wall. If Steinbrenner were alive, oh, the older one, um, he'd already be gone. If Steinbrenner were alive, Billy Martin's corpse would be managing the Yankees again. He couldn't do worse. <laughs> no, no. He's more homophobic, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah. What oh, Billy Martin. Oh, man. I grew up with Billy Martin being all over the back page of the Daily News and New York Post every single day. 
Yeah. Overrated and terrible. But uh, on the subject yep. of innings, though, that, that as, as you yes. were kind of getting at. So here's yeah. the thing about where baseball is right now with that. Tell me. Uh, with the sticky stuff crackdown going on and Rob, uh. Rob Manfred's <laughs> war against spider Tack, the way the game had evolved to this point, it was encouraging every starter to go max efforts and you know throw with whatever you got on the ball for however long you can for five innings. And then we go to one badass bullpen arm after the other. And that's the way it was set up. And that, that's why you, you now six inning starts are a rarity, let alone the yeah, nine. Yeah, exactly. There. Never mind eight. Yeah. So now that pitchers can't get that little extra aid on their breaking balls and you're seeing spin rates go down throughout the league, my theory is that innings pitched is going to become a much more valuable commodity than it's been for the past five years. And hmm. you've got guys that can consistently go at least six right now. We're not going to even talk the latter third of the game. You are going to have such an advantage on so many other teams that are now going to bullpen arms that were great. And now are, you can't quite count on them as much as you could. So if you can get guys back from that, that precipice, as, yeah, Dahlia agrees. Absolutely. Billy Martin does suck, Dahlia. Sorry to bring him up. She completely uh, agrees. I wonder, though, if, if IP isn't as important, will pitch count then be the next thing? Because that pitcher I was talking about for the Yanks, and again, my memory doesn't remember what his name was, yeah. but he, okay. he's now the MLB leader in terms of pitch count. 135 was his count. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to be the next barometer? I think they're going to have to – if they want guys to go into the hundreds on pitch counts again at some point. You're going to have to go back to that style that we were mentioning earlier, where you can't be going all out in every single pitch. And as long as you can, it's, it's going to take some guy, a few guys to show them that, yeah, I can start the game with less than my max and still get major league hitters out in order for it to catch on. But it's worked for a century and a quarter before the past five years. I have to think, and some guys are able to do it. I mean, Kyle Hendricks frequently goes six or seven innings, throws no harder than 87 or 88. So mm-hmm. I see some of these pitchers, though, and I've been watching in, in the slow-mo replays. They're throwing so hard mm-hmm. that they're actually losing eye contact with the catcher. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are throwing so hard that their head is at their knees upon release of the ball. And that can't be good. Right. I mean, I don't know why, but I'm a purist, and I, I want to see that pitcher – Follow the ball. Keep your eye on the ball, as they say. You know, um, it's also interesting to me that um, I think that the, the whole thing you brought up with the controversy over the sticky stuff. I mean, it almost seems like it's made up just to minds. Like I, I thought when I first read about this, that this can't possibly be happening. Uh-huh. It seemed to me as if like they just wanted to like you know, well, we don't have any headlines about the MLB. We need to make up something. No, oh, oh no, it, it's been happening for like everything else in baseball. Uh, it's been happening as an undercurrent for the past several years. And every now and again, you see a writer quoting unnamed sources or off the record players saying, yeah, you wouldn't believe how many guys are actually using this stuff. And then, but so when, what, so what? It, and then when, so it, what? really, I mean, well, honestly, honestly, give me a reason, give me a reason why it isn't one of those things that you just basically say, eh, look the other way. I mean, it's not like a banging on a trash can. All right. Can yeah, we agree I mean, on that? Well, yeah, it's, it's a thing that everybody looks the other way for several years because, I mean, that yeah, that is the response of, you know, this has been going on in the game since the game started. Guys have been trying to right. get into the substances. And then the league as a whole starts hitting 235, and you go four minutes <laughs> balls in play, and you realize, oh, that's so what? Okay, yeah, guess yeah. we got to Okay. It. So 
Yeah, it's like everything else with yeah. baseball. It's it's something that is a problem that is whispered about and ignored until it becomes way too big and consumes the game. And people say this is a problem that's going to ruin baseball. And then half measures and panic. Too many no hitters. Too many no hitters. Yeah. We got to stop yeah. the no hitters. Well, the no hitters <laughs> should be like a no hitter should be a rare and a celebratory thing. You shouldn't have no hitters on back to back nights if possible. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is it is a sign of the times though isn't it ken that that we're, we're basically taking all the things that we would see once in a lifetime and suddenly it's like oh well that was was that wednesday or thursday no it was both nights <laughs> same as it ever was same as it ever was don ennis uh i know somebody who quoted that recently yes yeah, yeah. thank you talking who, hands who might have made that incredibly dated reference that five people get sure no nobody on this podcast <laughs> no one would ever do that no 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 i'm when you say dated, that is definitely me, except for the fact I haven't had any. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I am tapping my heart in sympathy at this point. Uh, Don Thank Ennis, before we go, uh, I should say something to your face that I've been saying behind your back for the past month and a half or so. Uh, so <laughs> as, as you know, uh, there is, we are in a business that is full of rejection. Like it is, it is the hallmark of any creative enterprise and sports writing is, you know, at the very top of people telling you no. And as someone who is very familiar with that, uh, just as a general rule between stand-up comedy and sports writing and freelancing and all that, uh, it's something that, you know, I, I'm just kind of used to as this is something that I have to deal with from people who are making decisions about my career or the rest of my life. Uh, it's, it's just kind of become a part of me. And... I realized when you left that one of the things that really was special about having you as my editor for a couple of years was, I mean, you were someone who unequivocally got me and got what I was doing and someone who I always felt confidence in whatever I wanted to submit, no matter like how far I wanted to push trying to make this funny or make it work that you would understand what I was going for with my voice. You would know that there was a, usually a deeper meaning I was trying to get, get to underneath all my funny, funny yuck yucks, whatever that was on the surface of my articles. And you were also a person who I trusted so much to also be able to tell me, hey, this is shit, we're not going to run this. I never said your stuff was shit. No, no, but, but you know what? I, I have to try to make this funny because funny jokes. Yes, I understand. You there. should, you should use def definitely be illustrative. It's okay. okay. Yeah, so I want to make uh, sure the people that don't don't think I ever said that to you. Never, ever, ever. <laughs> uh, I said maybe sometimes you went a little overboard. Right, be able to right. push the envelope a little too far wide. <laughs> Diplomacy is the hallmark of great editing. Yes, and uh, and you were a great editor. Like. I cannot begin to tell you what a privilege it was and how much better it made me as a writer to know that you were someone that I could uh, bounce stuff back and forth off and someone who I could trust to get where I was going with stuff. Uh, and just got to say, yeah, it was such a pleasure for the first two years I was at OutSports uh, at, to the point where, uh, and this is 100% true, in the discussion with my therapist, we have nicknamed my inner voice of encouragement as my inner dawn. So, yeah. Yeah. How about wow. that? I'm so, I'm so flattered. I, I, when we began this, I thought, oh, wow, he's going to propose to me, just like you know, Brian <laughs> Bell and, and their partner, KC. This is so touching. Uh -huh. But then I thought, then he's going to pull a Jerry Maguire and say, 
I complete you. <laughs> and I'm very flattered to be your inner Don and to be, uh, have, to have had an influence on you because to me, one of the things that I loved being your editor was the idea that your perspective was so unique and different that I knew that a Ken Schultz story about anything is different than anything else anyone else would write, whether it be about transgender rights, about the Cubs, about baseball, about the Olympics, or about my favorite story you wrote about what the U.S. team, what Team USA was wearing to the Olympics. <laughs> I, 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 still, I still hold that at a high standard of this is going to win awards. I hope that uh, Outsports submits it next year because uh, your level of, of satire and, and punnery is um, without compare. So um, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to, to, to be part of this. And don't be a stranger. I'm very happy to be both a guest and an inner dawn. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I appreciate having you in my life. So you'll be welcome on this pod anytime. And the Mets are probably going to make the playoffs. So count on Let's hope so. next in October. So and uh, Let's hope so. And you can also invite my BFF, Maya Monet, because yes. Um, yes. I'm so yes. grateful that you uh, embraced her and have brought her on as a guest as well. Yeah, we will definitely have a big old Mets postseason preview podcast, assuming that the season goes along the way it's been so far. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's the Mets. Yeah, Let's I, just, I don't, you know, don't, don't jinx it. Works. Believe me, 108 years, yeah, I got that neurosis too. So, uh, Don Ennis, there is no neurosis talking to you. It is such a pleasure. Thank you, Ken. <laughs>